Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. This week we will be finishing up our discussion of the invasion. We will be discussing the final four episodes, the characters, and giving the story a final score out of five. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so to join the discussion, you can check us out at TimeTeamp, that's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now though, as we always do, I will hand over to Paddington for the story recap. Yay. Episode 5. A shocked Jamie asks where the Cybermen could have come from, but the Doctor says they need to leave and go back to the Brigadier. Back at the unit base, Turner tells the girls that the police will be taking over the investigation to bring down Vaughn, and Isabel laments that she will be missing out on a great opportunity for her photography career. Turner says he'll make it up to her by buying her dinner, but before they can flirt any further, the Doctor and Jamie arrive. They tell the trio about the Cybermen, and that there are probably thousands of them, but they have no idea where they could be stored. Turner goes to inform the Brigadier, but before he goes, the Doctor asks him about the reports of people who return from Vaughn's office acting strangely. Zoe tells them that the Cybermen are capable of controlling the minds of people that they capture, and the Doctor asks who the Brigadier reports to. The Brigadier is in fact in Rutledge's office, incredulous at being told to stop investigating Vaughn and international detraumatics. He notices Rutledge's strange behaviour and asks what influence Vaughn has over him. Rutledge orders the Brigadier and his men to leave Vaughn alone, but the Brigadier says he will go over his head and report to Unit Central Command in Geneva. After the Brigadier leaves, Rutledge calls Vaughn and tells him about the Brigadier's plans to contact Geneva. Vaughn then asks him how much time it will take for Unit Command to respond, but Rutledge starts to stammer, as if coming out of a trance, but Vaughn orders him to come to his office immediately. After a brief internal struggle, Rutledge obeys Vaughn and starts to make his way over to the office. Packer is concerned that they could be losing control of Rutledge, but Vaughn reassures him that all will be fine. Rutledge arrives at the office and tells Vaughn that he has at most two days before the unit forces arrive. Vaughn orders Packer to prepare Watkins' machines for a test, and he then dismisses him so that he can deal with Rutledge. He opens the secret panel and tells the computer that the invasion needs to be brought forward. The computer says the invasion force is not ready, and his request needs to be assessed, but Vaughn demands that the invasion commence tomorrow morning. The computer transmits the message and replies to Vaughn that his order will be followed. In the warehouse, Packer orders the Cybermen forces to their assembly points in preparation for the invasion. Vaughn arrives and orders one of the Cybermen to be partially reactivated so they can test Watkins' machine on it. Gregory is reluctant to do so, but Vaughn orders him to do it and tells him to use the machine's emotion generator to instill fear in the Cybermen. The effect is instantaneous with the Cybermen crying out in terror before tearing free from the machine and staggering off down into the sewer. Packer says that they should stop it, lest it harm an innocent person, but Vaughn callously says anyone down in the sewer deserves to die. Back at the unit base, the Doctor and the Brigadier are looking at the map of the sewer system around the International Electromatics building, trying to ascertain where the Cybermen could be gathering. Isabel is sceptical of the whole thing, and Turner echoes the sentiment, saying to the Brigadier that Unit Central Command will need proof before they can act. The Doctor says they need to first focus on how the, the attack will take place, and asks Jamie for the radio Vaughn gave them. He then asks the Brigadier to give him any international electromatics products that they have on hand, and Turner takes him to see them. After they leave, Isabel and the Brigadier discuss the need for proof before a unit can intervene, and she suggests using her photography equipment, which is infrared film, to take pictures of the Cybermen from a safe distance using a telescopic lens. However, she is deeply offended when he says it is no job for a woman, and that his men should do it. He departs to organise a surveillance team, and after he leaves, Jamie ag- agrees with the Brigadier's opinion causing Isabel and Zoe to storm off with the intention of carrying out the assignment themselves. Jamie tries to get them to wait for the Doctor, but follows on after them when they leave. 
Meanwhile, the doctor finds the same superfluous circuitry in the unit equipment as that was in Jamie's radio, but still can't fathom what it is for. He says he will go back to Watkins' house to use it as a base of operations. He goes to find the others, but the brigadier says that he hasn't seen them since his earlier conversation. The radio operator informs him that the young trio took out one of the jeeps and headed back to London under the pretense of following the instructions from the brigadier. The brigadier calls the jeep, which is being driven by Corporal Benton, but he is too late as Benton informs him that he dropped off the others already near the International Traumatics building. The brigadier orders him to try and call them back, and he then instructs Turner to take over command of the troops in the field. The doctor says he will go with Turner to see if he can find out the reason for the unnecessary circuits, and asks the brigadier to try and look after the others. Back at Vaughan's office, the computer reveals the extent of the invasion plan, which infuriates Vaughan. He initially agreed to help with the invasion so that the Cybermen could gain much-needed materials. In return, he would be granted control of the planet. Now, however, the Cybermen intend to convert as much of the population to Cybermen and destroy any others that resist or prove unsuitable. Vaughan furiously objects to this new arrangement, and the computer says that he must be cyberized if he wishes to stay in control. Vaughan says that he would allow his body to be converted, but not his mind, and the computer relays an agreement to that proposal. He closes the secret panel and turns to talk to Packer, who has observed the whole exchange, and both realise that the Cybermen intend to double-cross them. Packer asks how they will remain safe against the Cybermen's mind-control devices, but Vaughan reminds him of their internal tech capsules, which will keep them safe. Outside, Jamie, Zoe and Isabel enter the sewer moments after Benton and a passing policeman spot them. They make their way into the tunnel and Zoe spots something moving towards them. Isabel takes several photos of an approaching Cyberman, but Jamie pulls her away when he thinks that they have enough to take back to the unit base with them. Meanwhile, the policeman has followed the trio into the tunnel, but is killed by a pair of Cybermen. The trio then find themselves trapped between the policeman's killers and the one coming down the other tunnel, which is revealed to be the terror-stricken Cybermen from the warehouse. Episode 6 Jamie pushes the girls back against the wall as the tormented Cyberman approaches them, but it staggers past them down into the tunnel. They then hear the echo of Turner's voice calling out to them as he has led a rescue squad into the sewers to find them. Isabel goes to call back to him, but Jamie stops her, saying that she could alert the other Cybermen to their location. Meanwhile, Turner and his squad realise that the tunnels are too vast to explore, and he decides to try and contact the Brigadier for reinforcements. However, they come face to face with the pair of Cybermen who killed the policeman. The Cybermen order them not to resist and to follow their instructions. Turner orders his men to prepare grenades, and they use the distraction of the newly arrived tormented Cybermen to throw them. They kill two of the Trey Cybermen, and the last one starts to get to its feet, causing one of the unit soldiers to flee, but he is killed by the Cybermen's chest unit. Turner and his remaining men throw more grenades to cover their retreat to the ladder, and call out for the trio to join them so they can all head back to the surface. Turner asks Jamie to cover the rear whilst they try and get the girls up first. Jamie then makes his way up the ladder, but he is followed by the Cybermen, who grabs onto his leg to prevent him from escaping. One of the soldiers batters the Cybermen with his rifle to break its grip on Jamie, and when it falls back into the tunnel, Benton throws a grenade down after it, seemingly destroying it. Back at Watkins' home, the doctor is continuing to examine the circuits, but to no success. The brigadier enters and says that Isabel is developing her photos, which he will then take to Geneva to present to the central command in the hopes that they can act upon it. However, he says that it could be a few days before any action is taken, and the doctor says that it may be too late. The trio enter with the photographs, but the brigadier apologetically says that they look like fakes, which causes Isabel to storm off. The Brigadier says that he needs undeniable proof of the Cybermen's existence, and just then, the Doctor seemingly makes a breakthrough. In Vaughan's office, Packer is relaying what happened in the tunnels, but Vaughan says that there needs to be no worry as the invasion will commence soon and no one will be able to stop them. He then asks for a progress report on Watkins' machine, and Gregory arrives with Watkins, 
who presents the Cerebratron machine to Vaughn, telling him it is too dangerous to use. Vaughn doesn't seem to be too concerned with this as he examines the machine, and Watkins then asks for Isabel to be freed, and Vaughn distractedly tells him that she is already free. He then uses the machine on Watkins to fill him with fear, and Gregory tries to intervene, causing Vaughn to threaten him as well. Vaughn orders them to go back to the compound to begin producing more of the machines, and Watkins tells him how much he despises him and would kill him if given half a chance. Vaughn then gives him the opportunity to do so by giving him Packer's gun, and after a moment's hesitation, Watkins fires several rounds at Vaughn. The bullets have no effect on him due to him receiving a cybernetic implant, and Watkins faints from the stress of the ordeal. Vaughn then orders him to be taken to the compound. Back at the Watkins home, Isabel and Turner discuss the events in the sewer and the threat of the Cybermen. An urgent message comes in and Isabel goes to fetch the Brigadier. The message reveals that Benton saw Watkins being removed from the building and Turner suggests a rescue. Isabel and the Doctor request that he be rescued and the Brigadier instructs Turner to take command of the rescue party. Later, Gregory reports the successful rescue of Watkins back to Vaughn, who has him killed by the Cybermen. Meanwhile, the Doctor asks Watkins about the alien circuits, but he says he knows nothing about them. He tells him about Vaughn's use of his machine, and the Doctor realises that Vaughn's plans to use it against the Cybermen. He then realises that the circuits are actually conducting circuits which can manipulate brainwaves. He then goes to look at the circuits again as the Brigadier departs for the unit base before heading to Geneva, leaving Turner in command. Later, the Doctor reveals his finding to the others. He says the Cybermen intend to use all the orbiting international electromagnetic satellites to boost their hypnosis signal, which they will then allow them to control anyone in close proximity to the circuits. The Doctor then tells Zoe to show Watkins how to counteract the hypnosis effects by crafting the depolarizer brackets for their necks. He then relays instructions to the Brigadier on how to craft and apply them as well. In Vaughan's office, the computer says that they have begun preparations for the invasion to begin. Vaughan tells Packer that he will soon be in control of the world. Meanwhile, up in space, the Cybermen ship positions itself to begin broadcasting its hypnosis ray. The following morning, the invasion is launched as the hypnosis signal beacon is broadcast throughout London, with hundreds of civilians succumbing to its effects. The Doctor falls to the ground as his depolarizer unit seems to have dislodged itself, and Zoe frantically tries to bring him back around. Turner then arrives and announces that hundreds of Cybermen have been sighted exiting sewer tunnels and manholes in the city. Episode 7 The Cybermen forces advance through the city as the hypnosis signal continues to be broadcast from the Cyberman ship. In Watkins' home, the Doctor is revived and informed that the invasion has commenced. He asks about the status of the Brigadier and his men, and the Turner radios true to him to discovers that he is alright, but half of his troops are down, and that they are only getting scattered reports from the other unit groups. The Brigadier says he will send transport to collect them, as they will be safer together, and Turner comments to the Doctor that it appears that Vaughn and the Cybermen have won. In his office, Vaughn is getting a report from the computer that the full invasion force is preparing to launch, and instructs him to have the radio relay in the compound set up so that the invasion fleet can home in on it. It then says that cyber controllers will be dispatched to lead the invasion forces once they land, but Vaughn says that he will take sole command of the Cybermen instead. He says that it is necessary, as only he can help them deal with the human representatives on Earth, but the computer relays that they have no need of assistance as all humans will be under control or killed. After some arguing back and forth, the computer relays an agreement that Vaughn will be placed in charge. Vaughn closes the panel and calls Packer and dispatches him to retrieve Watkins as the unit troops guarding him will be under hypnotic control. Packer and his men arrive and are amazed to encounter the Doctor and the others who are about to depart in a jeep sent by the Brigadier. Turner tells him to leave via the back entrance as Packer and his men attempt to break in. Watkins is hit in the ensuing firefight, as is Jamie, who attempts to carry him to safety whilst Turner covers their retreat. Turner radios to the Brigadier, who organises a helicopter extraction for them. 
Packer reports back to Vaughn, who was amazed to hear that the Doctor and the others didn't fall victim to the hypnotic broadcast. He asks Vaughn how they would be able to control the Cybermen without having Watkins under their control to produce more of his machine. But Vaughn tells him not to worry, as he says that he is the Cybermen right where he wants them. Packer asks if there is something that Vaughn potentially overlooked, leaving Vaughn to snap at him to follow his orders so the invasion can carry on. On the unit mobile operations plane, the Brigadier receives reports that the unit bases in New York, Moscow and Peking are all out of contact, and he relays this to the recently arrived Turner and the Doctor. The Doctor says that the only way they will have a fighting chance is if they destroy the satellite relay for the hypnotic signal. The Brigadier says that they will need an orbital missile for that, but only the US and the Russians have equipment of that sort, but he then realises something and fetches a dossier from a lockbox. He reveals that the Russian space programme has a scheduled launch for that afternoon, and Turner suggests attaching a missile warhead to it instead of the astronaut capsule in order to destroy the satellite. The Brigadier says it will take a few hours to get everything sorted, and he assigns Turner the task of seeing it through whilst he and the Doctor deal with the invasion forces. The Doctor says that they will need to deal with the incoming ships, and the Brigadier suggests using anti-air missiles to take them down, and contacts Henno Air Force Base near the compound. Zoe then arrives and says that both Watkins and Jamie are fine, but the young Highlander is furious at being assigned bed rest by the unit Doctor. The Doctor then says Zoe and her skills would be best suited to helping the Brigadier whilst he goes to talk to Vaughn. Zoe and the Brigadier both object to this by saying it's too dangerous, but the Doctor points out that they need to know how the Cybermen will retaliate when the unit starts launching missiles at them, and with what. He says they will access Vaughn's office via the sewers, as they will now be empty of Cybermen, and once inside he will open a link to the base via his communicator so they can hear what he and Vaughn talk about. The plane lands in order for the Doctor and Turner to leave for their respective missions before taking off again to go to Henno Air Force Base. The Doctor manages to enter the sewers undetected and starts to make his way down towards Vaughn's office. The Brigadier arranges for a helicopter to be on standby in case the Doctor needs it, but Zoe says it won't be of much use to him if there are still Cybermen in the sewers. The Brigadier tells her not to worry and offers her some tea instead, failing to notice her less than impressed look. In his office, Packer starts to relay the setbacks that they are facing with the limited forces that they have to hand and says to Vaughn that they can't proceed any further without the main invasion force. Vaughn, however, seems aloof over the whole ordeal and says that they will arrive in time. An alarm suddenly sounds and they switch on the video monitor to see the Doctor requesting an audience. Packer says that they should kill him due to all the trouble he has caused, but Vaughn reminds him that they need him alive so he can tell them about the TARDIS. The Doctor radios the Brigadier to say that he is going to Vaughn's office, and the Brigadier tells the radio operator to record everything. During their conversation, Vaughn reveals that the invasion has been in preparation for the last five years, saying that the whole thing has been his idea and he is prepared for all contingencies. The Doctor calls him a fool, saying that the Cybermen will come to take over from him. Vaughn says that the ground forces are conditioned to only obey him, and that he can use Watkins' machine against the rest of the fleet. The Doctor points out that one machine won't be enough, and for that as clever as he thinks he is, Vaughn is no match for the Cybermen. Vaughn says that he knows how the Doctor somehow kept himself and the others safe, but it is all for naught. He then orders Packer to activate the radio beam to guide the rest of the invasion fleet to Earth. The Doctor begs Vaughn to listen to him as he says the Cybermen will betray him. At Henlow, the Brigadier Zoe and a squad of unit soldiers arrive at the control room and see all the personnel under the effects of the hypnotic broadcast. Zoe and the soldiers set about reviving them with the depolarizers, whilst the Brigadier gets a report about the Doctor and Turner. He then orders the base commander to prepare for the invasion fleet, but Zoe points out that due to the limited range of their radar, the fleet will nearly be on top of them before they have a chance to fire. After a while, the radar operator starts picking up multiple incoming ships, more than the base's contingents of missiles will be able to shoot down. The base commander says that they will have to take down as many as they can, 
but Zoe says that with a careful firing pattern, they can take out over 90% of the invasion fleet due to their attack pattern formations via chain reaction explosions. The base commander says that they wouldn't have enough time to compute the firing pattern, but Zoe says that she can do it and the Brigadier backs her up. Zoe's calculations prove to be effective as the first batch of missiles take down dozens of Cybermen ships. Back in Vaughn's office, the computer says that due to the destruction of the ships, Vaughn is no longer in command and the Cybermen will take over the invasion themselves. Vaughn tries to attack the machine, but it repels him with a force field, and it informs him that all life on Earth will be destroyed via a Cyber Megatron bomb. The Doctor then asks Vaughn if he wants to be the ruler of a dead world. Episode 8 Isabel and Benton are listening to the events in Vaughn's office via the Doctor's radio. They radio truth to the Brigadier, who along with the Hendo base commander, is congratulating Zoe for her help in destroying the Cybermen ships. Benton relays the information on the bomb, and the Brigadier says that he will come back, and he tells the base commander to keep an eye out for more incoming ships and any sign of the bomb. In his office, Vaughn says that he will not let the Cybermen succeed, and he uses Watkins' device on the computer, blowing it up. The Doctor says it won't be enough, and since that they are now on the same side, he needs to shut off the radio beam guiding the Cybermen to Earth. Vaughn, who is dazed at the ruination of his plans, slowly comprehends what the Doctor is saying, and tries to contact Packer, only to see a Cyberman appear on the view screen. Packer suddenly bursts into the room, saying that the Cybermen in the building are no longer obeying his commands. As he's confronting Vaughn, a Cyberman enters the room and kills Packer after he fires a few ineffectual shots at him. The Doctor uses Watkins' machine to dispatch the Cyberman, and he then asks Vaughn where the radio beam is being transmitted from. Vaughn says that it is in the compound, but that it will now most likely be under the control of the Cybermen. The Doctor calls through to the Brigadier, who has been listening in the whole time. The Brigadier says it will take at least 10 hours to attach a warhead to the Russian rocket, leaving destroying the radio transmitter at the compound as the only way to stop the invasion. The Doctor pleads with the despondent Vaughn to help them, and appeals to the, his better nature to save humanity. However, Vaughn agrees out of his hatred for the Cybermen and their destruction of his ambitions. The Brigadier sends a helicopter to collect the two of them and they make their way to the roof. On the unit mobile operations plane, the Brigadier is ruining the fact that he does not have enough men to launch a proper assault on the compound. A call comes in from Turner who says the warhead has been attached to the rocket and the Brigadier orders it to be launched in the slim chance it could reach the Cybermen ship in time. He then gets a call from the Doctor who says that they have reached the compound but cannot wait for reinforcements lest they lose the element of surprise. The Brigadier tells him to be careful, but the Doctor says that Watkins' machine should be enough to keep them safe. He then orders Benton to have men ready for the action, and agrees to let Zoe and Isabel accompany him and the others, with Isabel saying that it could be her last chance to take a photo of a Cyberman. The plane lands, and the Brigadier leads his men through to the compound to assist the Doctor. The Doctor and Vaughn make their way through the compound, but are spotted by a Cyberman guard, who Vaughn dispatches with Watkins' machine. They head up to the roof to avoid any incoming patrols, and they eventually spot the building with the transmitter in it, but it is surrounded by armed Cybermen. They continue along the rooftops, but encounter more Cybermen guards. Meanwhile, the Brigadier and his men encounter a squad of Cybermen, and a firefight ensues. The unit forces small arms are ineffective against the armoured Cybermen, and the Brigadier orders them to switch to grenades and bazooka rounds instead. The Cybermen forces are eventually defeated, and the unit forces continue sweeping through the compound. The Doctor and Vaughn arrive at the rear entrance to the transmitter building, and find no Cybermen guarding it, which the Doctor comments as being odd. Vaughn makes his way up the ladder to a door, but three Cybermen appear from behind him and the Doctor calls out a warning. Vaughn manages to kill two of them before he is killed himself, leaving the third Cyberman to chase the Doctor. The Brigadier and his men arrive and he tells the Doctor to duck for cover as one of his men destroys the Cybermen with a bazooka round. The Doctor informs the Brigadier about the rear entrance and he leads his men to take care of the transmitter, 
whilst the doctor remains behind to pose for some victory pictures taken by Isabel. Later on the mobile operations plane, the Brigadier is relaying the information that the transmitter is destroyed, thereby stopping any more invasion forces from landing. However, he points out that the main Cyberman ship is still intact and therefore still a threat. He says that the Russian rocket should reach it in about six hours, and in the interim, every available unit soldier should prepare to repel any Cybermen still lurking around. He is interrupted by a call from Henlow Base saying that something large has just arrived at the edge of the radar range, but is staying there. The doctor says that the Cybermen most likely came close to Earth, so it should be easier to launch their bomb. Zoe says that it was a risky move as they are now closer to the Russian rocket, but the doctor fears that it could have passed the Cybermen ship already. Brigadier gets in contact with Turner, who says the launch of the rocket was delayed due to a technical error, but they notice the approach of the Cyberman ship and are now recalibrating its trajectory, which will take about 12 and a half minutes. The Brigadier and the Doctor fear that the Cyberman could launch their bomb within that time. A tense waiting game begins, which is eventually broken when a report comes that the Russian rocket is approaching its target. Unfortunately, the Cybermen launched their bomb mere moments after the rocket came into view. The base commander Henlo orders a counter barrage to stop the bomb, and after an initial miss, the bomb is intercepted and destroyed, mere moments before the Russian rocket hits and destroys the Cyberman ship. Back in the countryside, Isabel and Turner return the travellers to the field and watch as the Doctor disappears into the still invisible TARDIS. He makes it visible again, and Turner and Isabel stare dumbfounded when the trio wave their goodbyes before stepping into the TARDIS and taking off. End of the story. Very good, very good. Thank you, thank you all. Take that, you lousy Cybermen. <laughs> <laughs> so we can now relish our victory by taking a visit to the trivia spot. So what information do you have for the second half of this story? Thank you very much. So the air dates for episodes 5 through 8 is the 30th of November to the 21st of December 1968. As we mentioned last week, the writer and director for the story are Derek Sherwin and Douglas Camfield, respectively. At the end of episode 8... A special credit appeared on screen, which read, The BBC wished to acknowledge the help given to them by the Ministry of Defence in the making of this programme. A lot of the locations was provided by the MOD. I do wonder if they kind of saw it as kind of unit could be used as like a recruitment thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? <laughs> um, you know, like the way like um, the US Air Force supports like SG-1 and stuff? Yeah. <laughs> See the world, fight aliens, join the territorial army. (laughs) (laughs) This story was intended to sort of prove how well Earth-based stories could work, particularly like contemporary Earth-based stories, Mm -hmm. that they could be done cheaply and they could be done really effectively. It was the most expensive story they had done to date and remained so for several years afterwards. And to us watching the story, you can completely understand why it was so expensive. Yeah, like I can imagine, like like with some of those location shots, you know, where like um, squadrons of Cybermen are like walking down like various London landmarks. I imagine like that cost a fucking pretty penny, like to shut those areas down for the day so they could film it. You know. Yeah, and actually, speaking of the London landmarks, so St Paul's Cathedral is probably the one that most people think of when they think of this story. It was you know, a very iconic picture. It was on Radio Times. Actually, they put it on Radio Times before episode one even went out, kind of ruining the whole <laughs> giveaway at the end of episode four, but I know. Um, Dougie originally wanted them to also be at Tower Bridge, uh, Houses of Parliament, and Hyde Park. And I'm guessing for time reasons and maybe budget, they didn't do that. So the 
St. Paul's Cathedral one was the big, yeah. that was the big money shot, for lack of a better word. Uh, there's a couple of things that were cut or re-edited in the story. So the scene where Unit recaptures Watkins had to be scrapped because there wasn't enough time to film it. So you're kind of watching like, oh, we're going to say, go save Watkins. And it just cuts to Gregory being like, they saved Watkins. And you're like, <laughs> How the fuck did they manage that? So to save money and time, they just had Gregory describe what happened. Because that's the same. Yeah. As I was seeing it. Well, to be fair, like, you know, I'm, we've seen some really good fan movies. So maybe like this could be like a fan, a Doctor Who fan version of Rogue One. Filling the gap <laughs> of <what> Watkins was, <laughs> was saved. Um. Interestingly, then, you're mentioning Gregory. Uh, Gregory was killed in the sewers by the Cybermen, which to me, like the jump from him in the office to him in the sewers is really weird. It's very family guy cutaway gag. Yeah, but it even like you're watching going whole like it actually takes your brain a second to catch up with the fact that that was meant to be like a, a small time skip. Yeah. The reason for that is that's not originally the way the scene was meant to go. Benton originally killed Gregory during the battle so mm. when they didn't have a battle they had to do something to get rid of him so they recorded that after the fact to insert into the episode speaking of shooting people mm-hmm. Rutledge so the Brigadier's senior boss whatever mm-hmm. uh, he was originally meant to be forced to shoot himself by Vaughn it was filmed but it was cut before broadcast for being too dark, one would imagine, and so it is lost forever. Very strange tangential leap, but what yeah. came into my mind? David Tennant's portrayal as uh, Kilgrave in Jessica Jones, mm. just you know, telling you, just you know, shoot yourself in the head, and I just, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to it in a couple of weeks, but just to say, it was during this story that Fraser Hines announced his intention to leave. Sad face. Sad face. But he won't be leaving for a few weeks. So yeah, and as as well, I suppose like at that stage he had established a legacy that would rival like some of like you know obviously you know, we talked about Ian and Barber like you know for there for the first sixteen stories, but like he's established a legacy that you know has gone on for like decades now. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think like when it comes to like classic companions of the first and second Doctor, I think Jamie's probably the one that comes to mind the most for people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he was there for Patrick's entire run effectively bar um that first story yeah so once again thank you very much for all that wonderful strange information <laughs> <laughs> um unlike last week this week we'll be giving our full character discussion as to how we thought the guys performed over the course of the entire story um as well and then we'll be giving our score of five at the end of the character discussion so as always we have the doctor and we have jamie and zoe and just to refresh your guys memories the characters that we're talking about in terms of companions and villains there is the brigadier isabel and turner for our companions and then there is vaughn packer and the cybermen this time for the villains so the doctor yes um Overall, I think like going episodes one through eight, and particularly episodes five through eight, mm. I think it's a really good outing for Patrick. We got to see, particularly in episodes seven and eight, in his interactions with Vaughn, and mm-hmm. um, we really got to see some key 
some key things about the doctor that like future doctors do really well. Yeah. Like he went to Vaughn to try and convince him to side with humanity. And I like the fact that he doesn't villainize Vaughn forever. As soon as Vaughn, you know, commits to helping him, that's it. It's the two of them together. They're going to figure it out and they're going to get it done. And I like that. I like that there's no grudge held. Do you know? It's clearly, okay, this guy made a mistake. We're on the same side now. Everything else he's done. Not that it's irrelevant. Obviously, it was really important. People died, whatever. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the priority now is to stop them. And we're going to do that together, which I like. And I think Patrick did it really well, where it's very natural. Yeah. Because I suppose if you think about it, it's like... Oh, there's like there's loads of examples in different uh, genres of stuff where someone who has that's actually even later on down the line in Doctor Who when it comes to a certain recurring uh, mm-hmm. other member of the Doctor species where it's like you could be so brilliant, you know, like with, like electro international electromatics has become like a leading brand mm-hmm. in technological equipment and technological advances. And that was all for the purpose of Vaughn's thing to take over the world. If Vaughn could be rehabilitated, think what he could do for the betterment of the world. And like that's something that, you know, obviously after his war crimes trial, <laughs> that would inevitably, had he survived, come about. That's the type of thing maybe that was in the Doctor's mind. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen um, more of a reflection from the Doctor after Vaughn's death. Yeah. Because it kind of, like, you have this sort of humorous him running away grabbing his arse, which is very funny. And I'd always wondered where that clip was from. No, yeah. I know. Um, the humorous thing of him running away grabbing his arse. Obviously, he he dives down when the brigadier tells him to. Yeah. And then he's posing for pictures with Isabel. And that, I think, is... That's a bit... Callous is the wrong word, but, like... I think it's very... Like, Vaughn dies in a very violent way. Mm. in the sense of you know he uses the machine against two and one of them it misses one and the other one sh- shoots Vaughn and mm. like the way that the the Cybermen's the effects for the Cybermen's guns work because this time they're actually using proper guns rifles uh it's like there's an explosive quality to it yeah. and like Kevin Sony like he does an amazing job selling that death screen mm. and then you got the whole thing of the doctor you know uh, running clutching his bum and every time a shot goes off he jumps in the air and like as you said it's funny it will never not be funny but having that two seconds after like a very violent moment it does seem very at odds tonally yeah and unfortunately it kind of paints the doctor in a bad light that he's not yeah one thing like i and i think it's it's great or sorry there's two things other two notes that i have is it's very into the lion's den is the motto for the doctor in this story. Mm. You know, he goes back via the sewers where he's not guaranteed that there's no Cybermen are still in there. You know, there's no Cybermen there. And he walks into Vaughn's office and he's like, I want to speak to you. And it's like, again, it's a very nice, oh, like we see it time and time again, like, but it's, it's very Q and Picard type thing, yeah. you know? Um, I think the thing with that as well is the fact that like he knows Packer, like Packer has been presented up until that point, and we'll talk about Packer a bit in a bit, yeah. in a bit. But um, Packer has been presented as that shoot first, ask questions later type. Yeah. And even 
at this point in the episode, Packer is advocating for killing the doctor because the doctor is the, the cause in for the way. Yeah. Do you know? Um, so I think it's it's bravery, it's naivety, stupidity, hmm. all of it. It really sort of shows that uh, the doctor is a how, well, how would you call it? What's across me? A slither in a Gryffindor. Slither. Yeah. <laughs> Line pissed off. Uh, um, <laughs> um, one other thing that I like, and I think, uh, I think this is probably uh, Patrick's forte more so than we saw with Will, is this, watching Science Doctor is great. Mm. Watching frustrated Science Doctor is even better <laughs> because he gets so pissed off when he can't figure out what the circuits are for. Yeah, and we kind of had a bit of that last week. You sort yeah. of get the sense with this Doctor that. He understands the science and he's perfectly willing to use it, but fuck me, does he hate it? Like, yeah, he he absolutely he hate like, he hates being bested by technology. Yeah, and like, like we, I don't think we ever saw that with Bill. No, I think Bill was more, oh, this is wonderful or whatever. Like he yeah. saw, like he saw those interactions from a this is yeah. an amazing piece of technology perspective. Yeah, whereas Patrick sees it as fuck you. Yeah, do what you're told. <laughs> Stop so, being annoying. And I guess he's and he does it so well. Like he he really really does it very well, so like I I agree with you. I think this was a like especially the second half. This mm. was a really good performance from Trouble. I think. Yeah, and the second half gave that nice balance as well because we had the sciencey side, but then we also had those interactions with Fawn, which I think are brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like the two of them trying to figure out what they're going to be doing and stuff. Like, that was fantastic. Oh, it, it was great. Actually, actually, um, based on some of our uh co- recent conversations, very Garrick and Ducat. I actually have a separate comparison for Vaughn that is DS9 related that I will get to later. Let's just stick a pin in okay, stick DS9 a pin. <laughs> yeah. comparisons. Yeah. But because like, like, one of my favorite moments from DS9, like a small segue, is Way of the Warrior when the Klingons are attacking the station. Mm. And you just got like Ducat and Garrick meet each other in the hallway. And also Garrick just kind of goes, oh, whoever thought we would have standing side by side. That's just fucking brilliant. <laughs> Or like I can't remember what one it was, but there's one. It might be that same one where like Garrick says to Ducat, like you should have, or no, Ducat says to Garrick, I should have killed you when I had the chance, and Garrick is like, you tried. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be the same one as they're fucking trying to survive. Which yeah, yeah. I think I think I, I I I can see it in my mind's eye. I think the station was under attack. Yeah, it was either that one or it was one where I don't know if Garrick was introduced where. The Ducat had built in like this failsafe thing, and then he I got f- caught in the I station while it was in that. That's such a good episode. But let's talk about this good episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is that the, the doctor cover? Yeah, I think so. Cool. So, we have Jamie and Zoe, who I sometimes call Zamie and Joey. <laughs> <laughs> so, who would you want to go with first? Um, Let's go with Jamie first, because we actually don't see a whole lot of Jamie in the latter half of the story, particularly in the last two episodes. No. Um, and, um, I, I have something to say about that aspect of it, uh, mm. but when we eventually, when it comes to the natural discussion point. Yeah, so my thing on Jamie in this is... <laughs> okay. Jamie is clearly channeling Ben from the moon base. Yes. At yes, one he point. Is. Yes, he is. Where the Brig makes his comment about how Isabel and 
Zoe have no place in the sewers and it's men's work and Jamie's kind of like, yeah, well, he's right though. And I think, doesn't Isabel say like, oh, so you mean men are stronger than women? And he's like, yep. Yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> um, yeah. But what I find funny about that is, A, there's a little twinkle in his eye that you can tell that he's kind of doing it to rile them up a bit. But also, he's so fucking whipped. He is so whipped because <laughs> they drag him off afterwards. But it, it's great, like because like, he, 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 you know, it's almost like he's trying to, you know, like impress the brigadier because he's like, you know, he's not wrong. You know, it's like that little uh, Fraser Hines does it so well, like that little kind of peacock preening moment, you know. Yeah, but then like he's so whipped that like he literally says that like he agrees with the brigadier and whatever, and then the two girls just drag him off, and he has zero say in it whatsoever. <laughs> It's just like, oh yeah, the big strong man is it? Fucking whipped by two <laughs> by two girls. Uh, but no, I completely agree with you. He like he is so whipped. And other than being whipped, the only other thing he does is very gallantly gets shot, and then we don't see him again until the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah, like so. I think you know, he's stronger in the first half of the story. Hmm. Um, and it did, yeah, it did annoy me with the kind of the channeling of the bin but it's when he gets shot right Fraser Hines does such a good job of like you know letting out like the yell of getting hit mm. that I'm actually concerned for him yeah and it's like oh, like Jesus is, is Jamie okay is like you know are we like experiencing another like you know a Katarina moment here you know because um like I just and like you're waiting for a moment, like you're waiting for like it, it's only like what two minutes, but it feels like ages until Zoe says that oh yeah he's fine he's given out about the fact that he has to stay in bed. Yeah, but I'd almost would have preferred if at some point between when he gets shot and the very like it's literally the very end yeah of the story like it's the last scene. Yeah. I almost would have preferred if they went to check on him and he's yeah. giving out and he's wanting to get out of bed, um because. Clearly, I mean, by the end of the story, it hasn't been that long. Mm-hmm. It's been maybe a day, day and a bit. Yeah. He's clearly fine. Yeah. So where was he shot exactly? <laughs> and why did they keep him in bed for so long? In the bum. Um, I think, though, it's... I think the the type of dynamic we have in the story between himself and Zoe, and we'll get to Zoe in a minute, um, where you know we said Zoe was a little bit weekly handled last week she didn't really do a whole lot in the first four episodes and jamie's in that boat this week yeah i think this is kind of where people get the idea that you can't have two companions at the same time yeah that it's very difficult to manage them both particularly because in this case they were also trying to manage isabel yeah and i wondered because like fraser decided during this story that he was leaving mm-hmm which is fine and you know, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks but were they trying to write him out and write isabel in or was it just that for some reason the story-based companion was given a bit more priority in, in terms of our ongoing companions i honestly don't know like because see i like until like i read that i'm talking so you read out that he was taking leaving i was like <sighs> We've seen at times where like a story based companion can outshine a regular, mm. but um, uh, yeah, like I like usually in these cases, like it's one companion is spotlighted for the entirety of the story, 
mm. as you said, but never I, I've never seen one where it's like you know kind of flipped that. Like I think maybe with the exception of the Keys of Marinus, but that yeah. was different locations and there was like they were all separated and it, always it, different it was, episodes like yeah. one episode each yeah so it was all put into the story which was grand here though it's it is very telling it's like okay part one is jamie's story part two is zoe's story yeah i do i just think both could have been handled a little bit better Smidge better yeah cool so zoe why are you still wearing the feather boa <laughs> lose the feather boa if like, it works, if it works for Hulk Hogan, it can work for Zoe. But literally, like up until they go back to Isabel's house, which would be when did they go back to Isabel's house? End of episode six. Mm. So we have six episodes where she's wearing that stupid. Like they went down to the sewers with the feather boa on. Yeah. Outrunning Cybermen with the feather boa on. Like, dude, <laughs> ditch the boa. Like. <laughs> You don't need it. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. It's. It's not very combat efficient. No, <laughs> no. It gets caught on something. No capes. Yeah. No feather boas. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I was a little bit disappointed that she sort of rose to the base in terms of the brigadier and Jamie and following Isabel down into the sewers. I kind of would have liked her to be a bit more logical about it. As opposed to, you know, why don't we go down into the sewers alone because the brig made a possibly sexist comment. Yeah, like, so, I think she's coming a small bit more into her own in, mm. in the second part of the story. Like, so she, like, she's not an automaton. She's actually very, very outspoken. And I, I commented last week, like, I think that Isabel's sole purpose was to try and act as a vehicle for Zoe's character to kind of mm. express herself but maybe it's and again sometimes the novelizations can come really handy for this but maybe it's like now that she's able to kind of feel she can speak out a small bit more maybe there's just lots of memories of like the guys on the wheel kind of like oh little Zoe you know go do your fucking numbers that kind of stuff you know um so maybe maybe that might be it. Maybe I just have I just have imagined that Zoe would see it from a logical perspective. Mm. Also, Zoe is aware of the dangers of the Cybermen. She's aware of yeah. what they can do. Yeah. Why would she agree to go off to a sewers with no protection? They didn't have the little uh, depolarizers. Depolarizers at that time. Um, it just seemed to be very illogical. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe maybe this is it maybe it's Zoe is starting to use her emotions rather than logic which is fine um, but it just seemed very uh, it's a bit disappointed that she, that she that she got caught up in it like you know yeah. but then again you know are they trying to be more feminist but then the story the story itself indicates that that decision was wrong so yeah Cause... six one half dozen the other really yeah <laughs> Uh, what I do like though is um, a couple of things that happened in the story that I really quite enjoy mm. or really liked was the doctor saying Zoe is the person to help you out with this one. Yeah. The brigadier backing her up against the base commander from Henlow, mm-hmm. and her actually we actually get to see her scientific acumen put into effect. 
yeah, I I would have liked to have seen it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, cause we see it with the depolarizers. The doctor defers to her to yeah. to create them, um, and then we obviously see it with her doing the calculation. I would have liked to have seen a bit more, um, with the depolarizer as opposed to her just mentioning it. Yeah, maybe show her building one, like showing yeah. um Watkins how to build one. Yeah, or even just showing the soldiers how to apply them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, do you know yeah. just to have a little bit, yeah, because, a little bit more because in the same way that the 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 unit soldiers address Jamie as sir. I think mm. it would be nice to have seen that kind of like you're going to go, yes, ma'am, that type of thing. Yeah, as opposed to like, I mean, I do find it hilarious. But again, this is a scene I've seen before, and I di- I didn't know where it was from. Um, when the 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 military base are celebrating the fact that they destroyed the the invasion uh, advance fleet or whatever, yeah. and they're sort of they're like they're sort of like it's totally like it comes across as like a World War Two film. Yeah, or something like that where the guy's like, "Oh, Brig, can we keep her? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. she's great. She's she's better looking than any computer we ever had." Yeah, and, and that's great, but I would have liked to have seen it be more respectful. Yeah, and less boys' club with the "Isn't she pretty and smart?" Yeah, pat her on the head. Also, I mean, if you think about it, next to the brigadier, at like I broke my ass off every time herself and Nick were together. Yeah. Oh, she's she looks like a doll. Yeah. <laughs> She's tiny compared to him. She's tiny compared to him. It's just like she literally comes up to like below his collarbone. <laughs> it's like, um, but yeah. So in terms of like the whole like them calling Jamie sir, I would have liked to have seen them give her some more respect. Yeah. Rather than just being like, oh, isn't she cute and she can do maths? Yeah. Do you know? Um, but that's probably me being a bit overly nitpicky because the scene is fun and it is funny. Yeah. Um, watching them celebrate her and cheering her on and stuff like that, and they clearly do appreciate it. I just would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit later on in the episode, someone coming to her and being like, "Oh, ma'am, can you have a look at this?" or or yeah. something like that. You know? Definitely, definitely. Be great if we could see that before her tenure runs. <laughs> mm. Indeed, indeed. Did you have anything else on Zoe? No. Um, as I said, the second half was definitely her story. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So now we have Isabel, Turner, and the Brig. So what order will we do it? So I'm going to make my same comment on Turner this week that I made last week. Hmm. The only extra bit on Turner this week is his relationship with Isabel. <laughs> um, other than that, Turner does his job. Yeah. <laughs> and he does his job very well. Um. I didn't appreciate him telling her to shut up. Yeah. Though in his defense, he was under a lot of pressure and one of his men just died mm-hmm. because she ran off and wanted to prove that women can do it just as well as the boys, even though the boys have weapons and yeah. her, Jamie and Zoe did not. Other than that, like, and, and clearly Isabel didn't hold a grudge against him. You know, no. She didn't take any offense to it. No. Um, but yeah, other than that, again, I think he's a very competent first officer you can sort of see him you know it's very much a Riker and Picard type thing yeah do you know if we're going back to Star Trek analogies you know like it's very much the brigadier in this case is kind of letting Turner take the lead in the field a lot more Mm -hmm. and he's clearly very competent at that yeah um so I think yeah I think like Picard and Riker is probably the the, the best analogy to make there where usually Picard was on the ship and and Riker was was on the away team because like 
like Turner does like emulate in the break in some sense. Like he's very kind of lead from the front, uh, cover the rear mm. thing. Because uh, like we see that you know when um, he covers the escape from Watkins' house, you know. Uh, mm. it. The one thing I I, can't, I wonder though is, I wonder if he just didn't want to look up Jamie's guilt when they're escaping from the sewer. Mm-hmm. He has a weapon. Jamie yeah. doesn't, and he has Jamie go last. Yeah, I was like, dude, do you just not want to look up his kilt when you're going up the ladder? If that's <laughs> <laughs> because th- that's the one thing where uh, an argument I'm going to make in a second in regards to the brigadier mm-hmm. sort of falls flat because Jamie, while they do call him Sir, Jamie is a civilian. Yeah, and Jamie should have definitely gone up before Turner, and again when the house is under attack, Jamie should have taken Watkins mm-hmm. and Turner should have been the last to leave with the weapon, in my opinion. You know, he, you're saying like he's the, he's the first in, he should yeah. also be the last out. And yeah. in the two examples where we had it, he wasn't, Jamie was the last out. No, but he, he covered, like, um, Watkins and Jamie got shot and he stayed to make sure that they got out. Oh, but he left first. And then he came and back. And then he came back. Ah, uh, yes. Sorry. You're right. Yeah. Right. My bad. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I think it's that he trusts Jamie and whatever, and, yeah. and that's fine. But, you know, you should be the last man to leave. Yeah. Come to the but he's a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is a very good leader and whatever. Yeah. But, you know, he still has a few things to learn from the break. Mm. That. Yeah. If you, if you think back to Web of Fear. Mm-hmm. when they were holding that door shut yes yeah. and the brig told jamie to run first yeah that's a, a great scene yeah. a great so scene. i think i think turner still has a few things to learn but mm-hmm. he's a very good riker to the brigadier's picard do you have much to say about isabel she was right she was a twit for going down into the sewers just to prove a fucking point <laughs> yeah. um I did find out something looking through the wiki. So in the sort of expanded universe of books and comics and whatever, I think I've mentioned before, there's a particular book. It's like who shot Kennedy or something. Mm -hmm. And in that we find out that Isabel's Cyberman pictures. Yeah. They were basically, she was made a joke of on Fleet Street because they all thought they were fake. Fuck's sake. But it's funny because the brig mentions it, um, that when they were doing the expanded universe, they actually brought that back mm-hmm. and be like, oh, you know, no one believed about the Cybermen, which you know, makes sense why people don't remember them later. Yeah. Um, because everyone on Fleet Street thought that she she faked them, which is a little bit disheartening. Yeah. Especially after like she kind of stupidly put her life at risk to get them. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I mean... We'll talk about the brigadier in a second, but yeah, my, my only thing for Isabel this time around is her and Jimmy are cute. Yeah, her and Jimmy are cute together. Um, but yes, she's correct. She was a twit, and also she shouldn't have been in that final attack on the compound just so she could take pictures. Mm, no, no. Like I imagine the only reason they brought her was because they knew that she'd try and sneak off on her own and go. And better have her where they know she is <laughs> than leave her off on her own. Um, yeah, so bad bad decision making. Yeah, very poor decision making. Although I do have the same note that she and Turner make a very cute couple. Yes, they do. So now on to the Brigadier. 
So I have two funny bits about the Brigadier and then we can go on to the Brigadier more as a character. Okay. First of all, ever since I mentioned that trivia note last week about how his mustache keeps changing, mm-hmm. I could not stop staring at his mustache. <laughs> and the differences I'm seeing is actually mm-hmm. it's the the, the right gap between the right and left halves of his yeah. mustache gets bigger and smaller. <laughs> There's more skin showing sometimes than there is yeah. other times. I think it um, point I think it points the right side is bigger than the left as well. The second thing is <laughs> I love the brick. I love him to bits. Mm-hmm. I love at one point there's a zoom out shot from his crotch as he's putting on his weapons belt. <laughs> it's clearly like meant to be showing him putting on the belt, but it's like yeah. panned a little bit too low, so it just looks like it's zooming out from his crotch. <laughs> uh. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll stare at his crotch if you want me to, but like. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily appropriate for a children's TV program. Nope. On to him as a character, though, this time around. Yeah. Uh, I think the big thing with the Brig in this is, is the Brig a misogynist? No, I wouldn't think so. Neither do I. A misogynist is a person who dislikes, despises, or is strongly prejudiced against women. He is none of those things. No. Is he a little bit old school sexist when it comes to, you know, division of labor? Mm-hmm. yeah maybe however the thing i would say in his defense right is i would have been very curious to know if he would have had the same reaction if isabel and zoe had been in the military and this is the thing where i think that turner's actions kind of counteract this argument a bit but this is a military operation mm-hmm. it's a unit military operation you can't have civilians yeah, and to the break, particularly female civilians running around in dangerous situations without support. No, unit has photographers, you know, people who are photography trained on staff. They should be the ones to go because they are military officers yeah. and they can defend themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was wrong. I think maybe he presented it badly, um, and you can clearly tell, like when Isabel's like, "Oh, you're such an anti-feminist," and he's like. Uh, okay. But like I think it was more the fact that they were civilians that was the problem. Yeah. I think that I and I think it's a trend throughout his tenure on the show, is that with the brig, I suppose like a lot of people, it's unt- like he will have an opinion of you until you prove so otherwise. Mm. And I think that's irregardless of gender with him. Yeah. No. Even once that's been proven, he still kind of errs on the side of, well, maybe how about we send someone else instead? Yeah. But he, but it's never a sort of a, a doubt that they can do it. It's a, I don't want to put you at risk. Yeah. And like, we're going to see more of the Brigadier going forward. Um, with an actual proper mustache. With an actual proper, proper mustache, yes. Um, but if we jump the timeline a little bit just to give. Just in case people are like, oh, I don't like the brig. Like, he just comes across as a sexist or whatever. I love him. <laughs> like, I really generally do. In his next number of appearances, the women he interacts with are all civilians. Mm-hmm. It's not until... Hell, is it? Is it the seventh doctor that he meets a woman in the unit? He... Or has a prolonged interaction with a female he... officer? As far as I'm aware, yes. Yeah, so that's a long way off at this point. 
But the way he treats them is as an officer. Yeah. Or as a soldier, depending on whoever we're talking about in a given instance. And yeah, that's kind of overshadowing a little bit my impression of him here. But given how good he is with Zoe later, mm-hmm. with, like you said, giving her the respect, yeah. deferring to her for the calculation, telling people to listen to her, give her the 30 seconds she needs or whatever. I think it all goes back to the fact that they're civilians. and It's his job to protect civilians. Yeah. But but even then, like, as I said, like my point is kind of proven in the sense of until you like once you prove your that you're able to back up your statement. Like he'll he'll back you. Like she showed, like she helped him get the men back together with the depolarizers, and he was like, "Look, she's our best shot at stop at stopping these ships coming in." Yeah, I I do I do still wonder though if the whole like you know the the final push on the compound, yeah. I do wonder if he agreed to let Isabel go just because he was terrified that she'd go off on her own. Yeah, like so, I was like, you know, he, very I, similar to someone we might meet later, who <laughs> gets brought along because she will just go off by herself. Yes. <laughs> so now on to the villains. Yes. So we have Vaughn Packer and Cyberman. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to find a standalone clip of Vaughn mm. saying Packer on YouTube, and I couldn't find one. But you can probably watch entire episodes of this. Yeah. On YouTube, I just don't want to be to be linking to that. Um, no for copyright reasons but if you're going to watch this story for no other reason watch it for that yeah it's so funny <laughs> i'm going to suggest that mm-hmm. we do cyberman first okay what are your thoughts on the cyberman so we now have the classic depiction of the cyberman in terms of their design yeah it's going to be stay like this until yeah. at least the 80s slight variations thereof but it's the streamlined suit and the handles helmet mm. and i'm actually yes miming the handles <laughs> um i can see it it's very funny yeah and i think the teardrop eyes mm-hmm. i think um and i, li- I like this design because again it's you know streamlined and again they have individual mm-hmm. fingers instead of the claws because i i didn't like the clawed hands i thought that was kind of stupid that being said the cybermen themselves do not do a whole pile in the story. Yeah. The cyber... Uh, see, we don't see the Cybermen on the streets attacking people. No. I'm guessing because of cost and time. Yes. Now, in their... In the battles with them, mm-hmm. you can tell that they're clearly... Um, they're, they're clearly a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, it takes demolitions, like, you know, bombs. Like, it takes bazookas and grenades to take out... Take them One. Out. Yeah. Never mind, yeah. Um, my thing with the Cybermen as a whole, though, mm-hmm. so including the planner, controller, whatever it was that Vaughn was talking to, yeah. is they were really playing the long game, and I don't know why. Like, Vaughn says that they've been doing this for five years. Hmm. Why the fuck were they waiting that long? Well, okay, so presumably... It was to aid Vaughn in getting international electromatics to be international. Yeah, but my question is why, though? Like, given the fact that as soon as things started going slightly off the rails for them, so when their invasion fleet was destroyed, they said, sure, fuck it, we'll just bomb the place. They clearly didn't care about mm. taking the human race alive. So why invest this much time and energy into that endeavor 
Mm. when they clearly had no qualms about just nuking the place from orbit and taking whatever, because they wanted minerals, right? They wanted... Well, they said minerals, but presumably yeah. they probably wanted to add more cyber. Yeah, but then, but then that was clearly a secondary objective because then they were planning yeah. on bombing the place. Yeah. So why spend five years working to take over one planet? Well, okay, so the, like one thing that's going to probably be done a lot is this whole thing of like oh we like we need a homing beacon to be able to send our fleet because no one mm. can just fucking find the planet and then just head straight for it it has to be you know we need a homing beacon um which makes no sense yeah oh, stop. How, did you, how did you contact the planet in the first place yeah so again this is just me kind of spitballing theories mm. here like but again okay so get international electromagnetics to be as widespread it is so that way you can take over more possible people but obviously in the business world that probably would take a small bit of time and mm. and unfortunately there's when it comes to the cyber aspects of things there's a couple of unanswered questions in this one kind of like evil of the daleks yeah. what is planet 14 never mentioned yeah. again apparently it comes up in the 50th it gets mentioned i think or in maybe it's not the 50th yeah you see it's it's weird because of the fact that the cybermen don't have time travel nope so like how would they know about telos yeah uh or mondas or anything like that they wouldn't um but uh, also those super strong humans where the no, box did they go? Yeah, they've nothing to explain there. Um, and I I get the fact that, you know, there was no Cybermen there around for like Vaughn to he had to speak entirely to the computer or to the it's not even registered as a cyber planner because like again it's like a rudimentary form of it, we don't know what mm. it is. But I would have I would have preferred to have like some sort of a figurehead, even if it's like an entombed Cyberman, like sitting on some sort of like, you know, weird Emperor's throne, or like you get to see like the Sutek Cyberman, <laughs> possibly, or even like a hat, like even like if you just had the torso coming out of the machine or something, something because like I think having him just speak to essentially an answering machine is mm. it loses something. Yeah, and Cybermen can be very intimidating, and we've seen them be very intimidating, we've seen them be like. Like, like even if you just take um tomb the cybermen and ten planet just them mm. alone we've seen how really well they can be utilized yeah um but this is i don't think the cybermen make a for me they don't make a huge impact in this story no and i would kind of see them as they're the secondary villain yeah. They're the villain of the last third. Yeah. Do you know? Um, Vaughn is our villain up until that, up until like the end of episode seven. Yeah. Vaughn is our villain. Um, <laughs> they are the general grievous of this fucking, <laughs> <laughs> of this thing, like, you know? We started with Star Trek and now we're jumping over to Star Wars. Yep. Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I think Grievous is probably the best example to give for that. Yeah, and like I'm saying this, knowing full well that not everyone watched the animated Clone Wars series that was meant to bridge uh, episodes two and three. Yeah, I think if you want to be a little bit more generous, 
there may be Django in the sense that Django appears at the start of Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Isn't really seen throughout most of it and then appears back up at the end and gets his head lopped off. Yeah. Spoilers, by the way, for like a (laughs) 20 year old movie. Yep. Um, (laughs) It's just like. Like we, we can make comparisons all the fucking live long day, mm. but um, yeah, no, I just I don't think like they're they're not the central villain in this story. No. Um, so how about we move on to the central villain and his his gal Friday? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Packer is clearly done with all of this shit. <laughs> oh, but like I actually I think Packer is a great character in the second half of the story mm. because he stops being a goon and he becomes the voice of reason. Yeah. You know that famous um, oh, video meme of like you know where like the the Nazi high commander telling Hitler you know that like Hitler's outlining the plans for how to defend Berlin mm. and he's just like you know but uh, like you know, like uh, Hitler like they're not actually there there's no one there and like you know, Hitler starts fucking freaking out yeah uh, Packer was like that Packer was like showing him on the map you were fucked here we're fucked here we're fucked here we're fucked here we're fucked here and Vaughn is like ah it's fine I'm pretty sure like, I'm confident we'll take care of it yeah. and he's just like are you fucking for real. Yeah. Um, I felt kind of bad for him, mm, to I be agree. honest. Um, he did everything he could to now. As a villain, he did everything he could to follow Vaughn's orders. He was a bit crap at it. In fairness, he wasn't mm. the most <laughs> effective, no. hired hired soldier ever, but he tried, um, and he did his best to. But like, like you said, like, he clearly clued into the fact very. I think it was cluing in like at the end of episode four, but definitely into episode five. Mm-hmm. Vaughn had completely lost control of the situation. Yeah. And it makes me wonder because he, Packer wasn't someone that was mindlessly following orders. He knew what the plan was. He was very yeah. involved mm-hmm. in the plan. He knew the full extent of the plan. And it makes me wonder, why did he agree to the plan? <laughs> what was in it for Packer? Australia. <laughs> because you kind of get this like when he's eavesdropping on Vaughn's conversation it's sort of framed as oh, what the fuck is he talking about I was like what the hell did you think would happen yeah like I think had Vaughn's had didn't if Vaughn had didn't have such tunnel vision mm. I think I think Packer's opinions could have led to a very different outcome for the story oh yeah I mean kill the people who are fucking things over for us mm-hmm. keep a closer eye on unit like Packer, while he may have been incompetent in his execution, he was aware of everything. Yeah. And he was aware of the potential impact of everything. He was just shit at resolving things. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a small bit of um, the two boys from The Dominators. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar mentalities in the sense of, how's it? Toba and Rago, yeah. Rago yeah. is like, you know, going, as you said, the mission comes first. He was like, no, we will succeed. We will succeed in Toba. Like, he is bloodthirsty goon, but he's like, you're not seeing the fucking thorns on our side here, are you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think Packer, for an underling, I think he was a very interesting underling. Yeah. And I think they, they're actually, they can really help make a story good. Hmm. Yeah, because like, if you've just got that. If you just got a muscle head toady, you're just waiting for them to get the shit knocked out. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's satisfying, but it's not. Yeah, and we, I same. think we've seen that character too much already. Yeah. Like, I keep thinking back to your man from the Macro Terror. 
Yeah. Um, Ola. Yeah. Like, he was just a mindless brute. Now, yes, he was being controlled, but we kind of discussed, oh, how much is he being controlled? Yeah. So, yeah, I think... No, I think Packer was a very good and very well-written, very mm. well-acted contribution to the story. Yeah, I agree. So, Vaughn. Okay, I'm going to give you my, my analogy for Vaughn. Okay. Not quite in the same way, because we only have one episode out of eight, mm-hmm. really, where Vaughn turns around, right? Vaughn is Demar. Yeah, I can right? see it. Perfectly willing to sell out, in Vaughn's case, the rest of the planet. In Demar's case, the rest of the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. So long as he gets what he wants. And he's in control and he's in power. Mm-hmm. As soon as that power is taken away from him and he realizes that he's not going to be in control mm-hmm. and that he and those like him, so Packer and anyone else who's working for him, is just going to be walked all over. He has his eyes opened and he wants to help the good guy. Yeah. DS9, Damar, right hand of the Dominion, head of, you know, head of the Kardashian military, whatever. Perfectly happy to go along with it mm-hmm. until Kardashians start being killed and he realizes that the Dominion don't care about the Kardashians mm-hmm. and are happy to have them all die. And then suddenly Damar turns turncoat and, um, you know, is sort of. Yeah, he like makes the video, um, the the worldwide video speech to like stand up against the dominion and rise up against them. Yeah. And like he, you know, he forms a resistance and he reaches out to Starfleet and ruining Demar's character completely. But again, show's 20 years old with, you know, Demar is sort of, when you said ruining the character, are you saying you were spoiling that whole thing or or the character character was ruined? No, spoiling, spoiling what happened in the show. Um, But Demar is really presented in many ways as sort of quote unquote, the good Nazi. Yeah. Do you know? And I was actually watching um a video about Tamar the other day. Um it was a video from a while back where I watched it again the other day. Mm-hmm. Around the reason why redemption of a character like that works in a story, in a fictional capacity, I would like to point this out, in a fictional capacity. Mm-hmm. In order for that redemption to fully work, the character has to die. Yeah. In trying to fulfill their purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of rings true with Vaughn. I think had Vaughn survived his... Because I don't know if you'd really say he was redeemed, but like his no, no, his turnabout it, wouldn't be as powerful if he had lived. No, there's no there's no redemption. It's very much like Toberman. Hmm. In the sense of, you have fucked me over. I'm going to... I'm hell-bent on getting revenge, and I'm going to go down swinging. Yeah. So... And as like much like Toberman, had he survived, he his character would not have changed. He would still be that power hungry person. Yeah. And he was going to as I say, he was going to face trying uh, a trial for war crimes, and maybe like there was a whole hope of the doctor's mind of rehabilitation, like or that's just an unvoiced theory in my head. But Vaughn, like, unlike Mavic, so I made the comparison last week to Mavic Chen hmm. Mavic Chen stays deluded the whole time yeah. to his death like to his like he thinks that, like, and he's just like the Dalek Supreme is just like no shoot this motherfucker whereas Vaughn as we've seen throughout has like a contingency for contingencies for contingencies 
and the fact now that his ambitions are crumbled and he knows that look he's not going to get away from the scot-free and it's just like what fuck it if i'm going down i'm going down swinging and he does like he is fully out to get the cyberman and his kevin stoney sells that death scene so well we've talked about a great supporting cast in the past right yeah and i think with this i think we had a very good supporting cast mm-hmm. i think yeah. you know nick i i love nick do you know what yeah. i mean um and i love to break as a character so he was always gonna be great i think isabel jimmy and packer were all very good but it's kevin stoney as vaughn yeah, or like, he, yeah his performance is outstanding he like he is he as i said last week i'm you're never comfortable watching him because you you always think that he's got something up his sleeve, so like there are there are stories where you know that the doctor's got the upper hand. For mm-hmm. me, no, Vaughn is in complete control of this whole thing. Yeah, the thing is with though the one thing I'll say is that like on the whole, like you can never feel comfortable in his presence. You can never feel comfortable watching him, except when he starts helping the doctor. Because, like you said, he is committed one hundred and twenty percent to that action, and that comes across. You don't fear, or at least I didn't fear at any point once they started working together. Like particularly like once Packer had been killed, right? It's kind of at that point. You don't or I didn't get the feeling at any point after that that Vaughn was gonna stab him in the back. No. That he was gonna knock him off the side of the building or anything. It was nope, I'm committed to his action one hundred and twenty percent. And I think to go from it makes me uncomfortable just looking at this guy to 100% confidence that he would have the doctor's back. I think that's an amazing turnaround for a character hmm. in a very believable way. And it was done very well by Kevin Stoney. And it's actually very reminiscent of a character that I really enjoy in multimedia is Magneto. Hmm. Magneto is a great adversary. And yep. when he helps out, like, you know, it's like, you know that when he helps the X-Men, he's there to help them. And it's like, at the end, it's like, you know, I'm not, while I'm helping you, I'm your ally. I'm not going to fuck you over. But once yeah. we stop being allies, we stop being allies and we're back to square one again. So I think here, once had Vaughn survived, once the Cyberman threat was over, then that's when the he would become an adversary for the Doctor again. Yeah, I wonder though, if he had survived, I wonder if Vaughn would have just tried to just go to ground. You oh, know, oh just, completely. No, he would have run. He would have completely run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So, so I don't know if he actually would have been a villain for the doctor like in the sense that like magneto is obviously a recurring villain yeah. in dexman franchise oh. i don't know if he would have been a recurring i think he would have gone to ground and stayed mm-hmm. down for a long time yeah. but at least like you know you'd have the potential for another yeah. story because look, kevin stoney as we've said as we've seen twice now mm-hmm. is a fantastic actor yeah and you know that you're in for a solid performance if you decided to bring bone back yeah you know? and we are going to see him again um in another story uh mm-hmm. not vaughn but yeah. but kevin stoney the actor yeah um not gonna be for a while though no not, not for a while um, not for a long while actually if we think no. about it <laughs> so um and I, I think as i said and we'll probably get into it in the overall but once again in terms of like supporting casts this is again one of the strong contenders but it's mostly down to nick and kevin yeah i i would put this cast right up there with web of fear and the moon base in terms of our good supporting ca- i think oh, that i think that trio of supporting cast yeah is very good big time absolutely big time and you know it really sort of rings true to me why you and i decided to do this based on character mm-hmm. rather than based on 
even the story or the effects or yeah. uh, you know the guys on mission log do morals meanings and messages yeah. like we didn't go down that route we went down the route of the characters because mm. if the characters are good and believable then nine times out of ten your story is good and believable yeah. and like we we made i think the the example of the aztecs where a mm. lot of the scenery is painted backdrops you don't, or even the Romans, where you can see the sets are wobbling. You don't care because the acting is phenomenal and it just draws you in. And this is the we have the the beauty of location shooting here, mm. and bigger budget. But again, you don't really fucking care because it's the acting and the acting is phenomenal. Or Marco Polo, where we don't actually have anything. Oh, yeah, we just have audio. Like and like, that, I think that's that's probably the biggest success for this podcast in terms of your investment mm. because Marco. The, the full seven episodes of Marco Polo helped get you into the, the missing stories. Yeah. Whereas I was very hesitant to watch them. Yeah, oh, hugely, hugely. So, um, across two weeks, we have told another epic story. Mm-hmm. A bit shorter this time around. <laughs> I, didn't have to say, I didn't have to say thank fuck at the end of the support summary. <laughs> <laughs> or that's more summary the summary i yeah i remember when Sh- uh, shane one of our long-term listeners i uh, listened to that and he messaged me and he said he he was in a queue in a centra getting a roll and he, he laughed out loud <laughs> <laughs> yeah no and thankfully you know not to be letting the cat out of the bag i don't think there's any episode in this that we would just skip no no, <laughs> there was no raising your glass wink to camera. <laughs> no, there, there wasn't. There really wasn't. And again, the beauty of it was was that there's a perfect split. Mm. There's a there's a like and whereas in the master plan, it had to be the four and the eight because the first four was the end of the Katarina and Brett cycle, yeah, and then the remaining eight was the Cater as uh, the Sarah Kingdom cycle. Yeah. it would it would have been stupid to split the two. Uh, six and six. Yeah. Whereas here we have the perfect non-Cybermen first four and then Cybermen for the secondary four. I just remember that we did do um, that one as four and eight. So you did have to do an eight episode right. recap uh, all yeah. in one go. <laughs> yep. Oh, there's a reason why we didn't do that again. No. <laughs> and we never will. Anyway. Yes. What are your thoughts on this story as a whole? So... In terms of a Doctor Who story, uh, mm. uh, this is a rock solid entry. I think it's it's great. Mm. I found it like like you complained last week. Found it very hard to not watch more than one episode a night. You know, yeah. as a Cyberman story though, it's not a great one. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, and we've made that those kind of comparisons before, like in terms of you know, oh, it's a great story, but it's not like like we talked about the massacre, like you know, which was like at times for me, it was a, it was an interesting historical fiction documentary as a Doctor Who story it wasn't great because there was no doctor there was no doctor in it and Stephen couldn't lead it mm. um, we talked about here we talked about the performances from the guest cast and the, the, the co- both the core and the supporting cast just knocked it out of the park it yeah. was just so good great chemistry between everyone and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a testament to Nick Courtney that his character is brought back so much because yeah. of his chemistry with everyone. Yeah, I would agree. I enjoyed having Vaughn as the villain. 
because he always he always seems to be on top of the scenario. Mm. Uh, even when he's fighting on two fronts because he's got to deal with the unit and he's also got to keep the upper hand against the Cybermen. Mm. There are, my deductions though, are for a slightly rushed finish, I thought. Yeah, it was probably the shortest 12 minutes ever rather than the longest yeah, 12 minutes it ever. Just, it just felt very short. Some bits were clearly meant to have been, like yeah, as you said, the Gregory's death scene, uh, the rescue of Watkins, also Vaughn's cyberization. Because when Watkins shoots him, mm. the bullet, like there's no explanation as to why the bullets don't work. Because like, he's got smoking holes in his chest. So clearly he's been cyberized. Yeah. They never really go anywhere with that. It kind no. of it kind of goes back to the very strong humans thing. Yeah. I, I to be honest, I sort of took it that he is a head of a multi-billion pound international organization. He's always wearing a he was wearing turtleneck. or something. <laughs> bulletproof turtleneck. Uh, <laughs> or something uh, under his turtleneck. <laughs> and as well, there is Jamie's Ben moment, as I'm going to call it. Mm. So I was like toying with, you know, some of the, like, are these, how big are these deductions or whatever? And I was like, is it, it's it's not lower than a four, mm. but I wouldn't put it, I, and I, I, but because of the deductions, I wouldn't put it as a five. Mm. So I've kind of not met in the middle. I've gone four point two five. Okay, I can see that. I yeah. can see where you went with that. How about you? Cool. So for me, <laughs> I had a comment that I wanted to include in the overall. Mm-hmm. So I watched this with the subtitles on. As I've said, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um. Whenever Unit was on screen, particularly like driving scenes with Unit, the subtitles literally described it as jaunty military music. (laughs) The jaunty military music that sounded like it was something from fucking Magic Roundabout. Again, tonal issue, Mm. maybe. (laughs) You're like, oh yeah, let's go do it. You're like, what the hell is that? Um... But yeah, so that was my funny thing, just overall speaking. Um, for me, though, I mean, I mentioned last week, it was very hard for me to stop hmm. at episode four last week. Um, but I made myself stop for two reasons. One, I do prefer just to watch what we're going to talk about and yeah. then stop because it's easier for me because um, I have a brain like a sieve, unlike you. Um, and second, I had to work and I wasn't going to be able to watch another two yeah. hours of Doctor Who <laughs> before going to bed. I think it was a great story. I think there was lots of action. There was clearly meant to be more, but the amount of action we did get mm. was very, very good. Yeah. Um, and like the scale of the story, when you had like the ground-based stuff, you also had the missile attacks and stuff like that. I thought was very, very good. Mm. Eventually, everyone had something to do. Um, we had the brig back. I love with all my heart in terms of my negatives I'll be honest I didn't dock too much off for the Cybermen not being that strong mm-hmm. because you know, possibly controversial thing the Daleks and the Cybermen as villains I never particularly care about um, I'm much more invested story wise and I think you and I have discussed this mm-hmm. you know, separately before um, in the human villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with the Cybermen and the Daleks, they're sort of 
you know what you're going to get every time. Yeah. Do you know? Whereas I always find the human story very interesting. So I found Vaughn incredibly interesting in this story. Um, and like I said, like the sort of correlation my brain was making to like Damar from, from DSN. Yeah. So for me, the fact that the Cybermen story was, the Cybermen aspect of the story was a bit weak. Mm. I didn't particularly care. <laughs> um, it didn't really bother me, to be honest. Um, and I was going to say, because if you think about it, like, all our five out of fives have been human villains, as mm. far as I'm aware. It's, it's a preference of mine. Um, yeah. I, you know, the Cybermen and the Daleks, they have their place in Who history. Mm. And some of the, I mean, some Dalek and Cybermen stories are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's usually the people in those stories that make them fantastic for me, not the Cybermen or the Daleks themselves. Like, I, of the two, I prefer the Daleks. Hmm. Because I think with their time travel technology and their constant uh, advancements, which we've seen and we've commented on every time we've Hmm. seen the Daleks, there's always something new to them. Whereas with the Cybermen, it's just... It's almost like the Terminator... Uh, Terminator franchise where it's like you know the model is slightly upgraded but it's mm. at, at in core like it's something very 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 similar you know and like, you don't see any difference to their society yeah I think the difference with the Cybermen for me is we've commented before about you know did Star Trek rip off the Cybermen when they created the Borg right mm-hmm. yeah I find the Borg more interesting than the Cybermen because of Locutus, mm-hmm. because of the Borg Queen, and whatever. Whereas the Cybermen, the whole idea behind them is that you remove all human emotion. Yeah. So there's nothing for you to tap into with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like whereas like the Borg don't have emotions either. Yeah. But they have the Borg Queen, who clearly does. Or you have Locutus, who was Picard, and you're emotionally invested in that. So for me, the whole Cybermen not being, you know, overly developed in this story, I didn't particularly care. Um, I think the scenes of them walking around London were cool. There's actually one scene in this involving the Cybermen that I think is fantastic, and it's when um, they use the Watkins machine on it, and it mm. just tears off down the sewer, just screaming in agony over the fact that it's yeah. feeling like that. That was brilliant. That no, that was done fantastically. That, that was very good. I thought that was fantastically done. Yeah. Um, but the Cybermen themselves, I, mm-hmm. I, I never particularly care. Yeah. Um, I do think that was done better than the weird Daleks doing dodgems in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a train. Um, actually, I just said really terrifying because we talked about your Rutledge's forced suicide as being a very mm. dark moment. Can you imagine if they had been able to amplify the fear signal and use it on the Cybermen forces on Earth? That would have been a very distressing scene to watch. Well, I think would have made that supremely fucked up. Yeah. In a somewhat amazing way. Mm-hmm. They made the Dalek afraid, or they made the Cybermen afraid. It's yeah. feeling emotion, right? It's tapping into fear. Yeah. Why is it afraid? Hmm. What's it afraid of? And by introducing any emotion, for example, fear, is it aware of what it used to be? So can you imagine a Cyberman trying to tear its face covering off? Yeah. Do you know? I think that would have been fantastic. It would have been. Very dark. Way too dark. Yeah. Not, oh, oh, God, yeah. It's not the Colin Baker years yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so going back to my score. So yeah, sorry. Story was great. Characters were great. Actors were great. Um, Vaughn was fantastic. 
Cybermen, I don't particularly care if they weren't well developed because they weren't the priority of the story anyway. So mm. I'm not particularly fussed. Um, your other call out that you had was around Jamie's channeling Ben. Mm-hmm. I saw it as a bit of a wink, you know, taking the piss a small bit. Um, so I didn't judge him too harshly on that, but it is going to be something I'm going to keep an eye on mm-hmm. and see if it comes up again. Um, yeah. So for me, I gave it a 4.5. Yeah. I, I, I see. I think with everything that like I've found fault with it, the story didn't deserve below a four mm. because it is. You've got. I, I, I would say. The finale is probably the weakest of all eight episodes. It has some good moments, mm. but you've got seven fantastic episodes that lead into like a decent finale. But I think it's just a small bit too rushed, and the pacing just like. Mm. Like we we've had one five out of the entire run, and that was Enemy of the World because that was paced so perfectly the whole way through. Out of um, Trotton's run, Trotton's run, yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll just have to see if there's something that can rival it. Yeah, no, I think though. Um, one thing I'm glad to see again. I'm just looking at our scores here for mm-hmm. um, for this season. Mm-hmm. So starting with the Web of Fear. We did see a dip in scores. So Web, we both gave four point five. Web was fantastic. Was um, so actually, like Enemy was five. Web was four point five. But then Fury were dropping down to three. Wheel in Space, I gave a two point five. The Dominators, we both gave a two point five. Now we're back on that upswing again, which is great to see. So the Mind Robber last week we gave a three, and this week we're both giving four point two five and four point five respectively. Yeah. I, I'm glad to see we're back on that upswing. Yeah. You know, we have four more stories to talk about this season. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully they can remain, you know, like this one. Do you know? Yeah. Um, strong and consistent. Because we also have one more epic story. Mm. Uh, it's the War Games, which just for advance notice, will be split into a five and five. Yeah. Because I ain't doing ten. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, and just to, I suppose tease a small bit. I found a natural split. That if I'm annoying you the way that I do, you're probably gonna fucking hate me for. It. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is it a good thing that we record this the night before we talk, so I can yeah. technically the following night pick up and, and keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So, look, we've come to the end of the end of the invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been a very interesting story as a whole. I think it's been a very interesting uh, two-part discussion. Mm-hmm. Next week, we'll be joining the Doctor, Jamie, and Zoe as they face the Crotons. Not Crotons. Crotons. Well, yeah. <laughs> crotons be... with a K, not Crotons with a C. <laughs> there will be no soup involved in this story. Or will there? <laughs> mm. Soup. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, guys. Bye.